Welcome into another edition of Heavy Lifting with Robbie Lula. If you're wondering, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus just because I've been doing so much radio work, haven't had a lot of extra time. Uh, but we are back because, well, sports are gone. And I was like, you know what? You guys probably need something to fill the void. So I've got my guy Evan Stone here today, and we're going to talk about what just we're super bummed out that March Madness got canceled, kind of just what that means to us. And then also we're going to dive into why sports in general kind of matter to us so much and whether or not we're being stupid for being so upset that everything's canceled. And uh, we also want to get into our top five uh, emotional, the most emotional moment, top five most emotional sports moments in our lives. And we've tried to narrow these down to an actual moment, like one, just one specific moment, not a whole game or anything like that. Just one moment in within a, a game um, that made us the most emotional. So we'll get to that. Uh, we'll wrap up with the, with our top five, but um, first, Evan, how are, how are you dealing so far? We're on uh, day two of no sports. Oh, is it only day two? Yeah, because everything came down on, I mean, because Creighton played a first half on Thursday. So Thursday, uh -huh. technically, there was still half of a sporting event, although it doesn't go into the record book. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I got to be honest, I'm not doing well. <laughs> um, I mean, it feels like this week has been three months long. Oh my gosh. I was just thinking about it, you know, so I, I'm, we'll get into this a little bit, but uh, just to recap for your listeners, I am from Illinois, so I'm a big Illinois fan, and less than a week ago, Illinois was in a sold-out stadium beating Iowa in a last-second shot on Sunday night, and everyone just had so much high hopes for the yeah. next week. And that feels like a lifetime ago. Well, and I had a very similar experience. I was literally a week ago, like right now, I was at the CHI Health Center, ironic name now, um, <laughs> with 18,500 of my closest friends watching Creighton beat Seton Hall to claim their first ever Big East title. And... <laughs> Spoiler alert, there's a moment from that game that's on my list. And it was it was incredible. And it was like, okay, Creighton, you know, might get a two seed. They might get a um, you know, they they might get their first shot at a sweet 16. And then just like three days later, obviously Creighton was dealing with some stuff with a Marcus Zegarowski injury, so there was some uncertainty there, but three days later. We're looking at it, and it's like, well, nobody's playing anything for the foreseeable future, and yeah. that that blows, man. Yeah, and I I think, um, I mean, let's be honest. Once the Rudy Gobert situation happened, you knew I, it was all coming downhill. You could see what was going to happen after that, because that was when, right? Wednesday night, Tuesday night. It, it was I, – I don't remember which night it was because Hoiberg was Wednesday night. Um, and I think just all the of that, All of that stuff happened the same day. Hoiberg – and that's the crazy – Wednesday was one of the craziest, like, six hours in sports ever. Yeah. 
One, even though even though it, you know it came out that that Fred Hoiberg was was not positive for coronavirus, it was just the flu. I think just the visual of seeing him sick on a bench put it, it just moved things so much faster. Dude, that's the thing. It it doesn't matter that it wasn't corona. The optics of it were so bad. So bad. And so bad. between Rudy Gobert coming down positive and then seeing a head basketball coach on a bench looking like death. And I'm not saying that like flippantly, like he looked awful. And between those two things, it was just like, oh man, this is because I thought it was going to be one of those, which it, it looked like it might be for a little bit. I thought it was just like, okay, no fans. There's not going to be any fans. Yeah. That's fine. It'll still be on TV. We'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that was every, every sports fan's hope. But even when we got the initial, like, even okay, Big Ten tournament, no fans. We were like, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. And now looking back on it, oh, my gosh, I would have loved no fans. Like, at least right? just still, still play. But then you think of the logistics of everything. Of Even if you have no fans, you have these college athletes still flying to all of these different locations, yeah. uh, staying in dorms on their college campuses. You know, there's really no way – there's no safe way to do it yeah yeah like Um, i understand and that's we should say like i understand why it happened this way like i get it 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 probably is the smart way to proceed but it really sucks yeah it's such a weird dichotomy of emotion of yes thinking this was the only thing they could have done you know, like there's there's really no other decision, especially once the NBA put things in motion and suspended their season. Um, there, there was no good optics or good press from keeping your sport going. Even the players championship this weekend. You know, I thought maybe, you know, you got it's an outside sport. There's no physical contact. You don't need fans they, there. You can still. Yeah. But even just the off chance that someone catches something while your event was still like the press from that is so bad. It's not even, it's not even worth it. Well, and so I can't believe, I mean, there's a UFC card that is about to like about to start in Brazil. Yeah. And I can't believe they're going through with it. Like I'm kind of excited because I'll have something to watch today, but (laughs) I can't believe they're doing it. Yeah. I I legitimately can't. It seems crazy and i don't know if in brazil i know like in mexico it really hasn't happened yet and in brazil maybe it just you know maybe it just hasn't got there yet so this would be you know because a week ago it seems crazy to think that we you know i was in a stadium with eighteen thousand people and so maybe in brazil they're a week or two behind because we saw stuff in italy and in Europe last week where, you know, teams were playing without fans and then they started shutting things down. So maybe Brazil and everybody's just a week behind us, but I I would be okay if they just start moving sporting events around the world to where it like either isn't happening yet or like you go all the way back around to China where they're starting to like curtail it. Like, <laughs> just, yeah, can we get just, a Big Ten tournament in China real quick? Yeah, just yeah. stay like a week ahead of the virus wherever it is in the world. <laughs> just like go globetrotting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't get into Mexico though. Boy, look at the irony of that. Oh, I know. I just tweeted something out where it was like, 
it was like Mexico is considering closing the border to the U.S. And uh, I tweeted out the Michael Scott gif, the, oh, how the turntables have turned. <laughs> oh, there man. Just an incredible amount of irony there. It's, yeah, it's hard. So, I mean, even it's the such weird emotional state of knowing, yes, this is the right thing, but I'm so devastated. And uh, I did think the funniest thing about Fred Hoiberg on the bench was his assistant coach next to him. Getting the hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Looking at him like, what are you doing, man? Like this. Yeah. So listen, what? And, and there's different reports about whether or not like he got checked out by a doctor. I don't. There were some reports saying he got tested for Corona before, but. I think for how long it takes to get results, I don't know if that's actually plausible. Um, yeah. I, there's a lot of saving face happening. Yeah, I just, I think it was pretty irresponsible Yep. to be there. Yeah. And he may have not had any intentions of, of doing the wrong thing, but like, again, you still have to look at the optics of it and be like, if I am visibly sick on the bench, whether it's, food poisoning or anything else, you know, like, cause food poisoning, it, there, none of those symptoms line up with Corona, but if you're visibly sick on yeah. a nationally televised game, like that's going to look really bad. Yeah. Also, can we just throw this out there? Your team has seven freaking wins. Dude, that's what I was like. And listen, what? as somebody who's both played and coached, I understand like wanting to see it through with your guys, but there's literally nothing at stake here. Yeah, no. You brought football players. <laughs> you brought a backup quarterback and an offensive lineman because your team is hemorrhaging players. <laughs> Unless you're really shooting for that next Disney Plus movie that's going to come out. <laughs> they better start cranking them out now since we ain't got nothing else to watch. We ain't got, I did see Disney Plus is releasing Frozen 2 tomorrow. Like months early. They're really capitalizing on this. Dude, I think they released uh, Rise of Skywalker early too. Oh my goodness. Because it was supposed to come out it was supposed to come out the seventeenth. And I got an email last night from Voodoo, who is where I get my movies and stuff from, that it was now available to watch. And I was like, Oh, really? Oh, hello. I just little little side soapbox I'm gonna jump on because I'm super pissed because uh we did the whole red box thing. Um, and then lost the disc for Frozen 2. So I just spent $12 on Frozen 2 from freaking Redbox, and now it's coming out for free in Disney Plus a day later. Like, Yeah, that's a bummer. It's not good. It's not uh, great. I think, so yes, you get the optics of Fred Hoiberg visibly on the bench. You get the NBA Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert, uh, getting sick and touching everyone's microphone. I would say getting sick and being incredibly flippant about it. Oh my gosh. And then, and then passing it on to, uh, Donovan Donovan Mitchell, Mitchell, which uh, honestly, I guess we don't even know if Rudy Gobert gave it to Donovan Mitchell could have got it from anywhere. I would assume. and, And Donovan Mitchell, I mean, they were all in New York like a week before New York is one of the epicenters of where it's been breaking out. Yeah. Neither one of them could have gotten it from each other to be honest. But again, the optics of it are terrible. Once that happened, you knew you knew everything was gonna. I was gonna. Burn. I was praying it wouldn't happen until at least after the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. 
Yeah. Like, I think I would have been more okay if they had gotten the first two rounds in and then canceled it. Because those are legitimately my four favorite days of the year. Yeah, that's it. Like, I, I was trying to explain this to my wife because she's not really into sports. She doesn't get it. And I was like, this is like if they canceled Christmas. Like, for me. Like, it's the... Thing no, on the calendar, I, I take Christmas. Okay, yeah, take Christmas. I'm cool. Take it all. Take Christmas. Take Thanksgiving. Take New Year's. This is the only thing I look forward to every year. I take no. work off. I've worked once in my adult life on the opening weekend of March Madness. It was 2013 because I'd gotten a job like two weeks before. Yeah, and so I couldn't take off. That's the only time. In my life that yeah. I've worked on on a March Madness opening weekend. Yeah, I, I do the same. You do the whole setup. It, it's like a it's a yeah. tradition routine where you, you set the living room up. You get as many screens as you can yep. possibly find. You, you line the walls with TVs and laptops and iPods, iPods, iPads. <laughs> an iPod to watch, watch and laptops and whatever else and you just man you just sit down and you set yourself up for just a glorious four days of upsets and Cinderella runs and buzzer beaters and and I'm I'm getting sad just talking about it and then like we we talked about this earlier because I was trying to explain to my wife too and she she likes sports She's never been into college sports as much, but just talking to her and, and getting this sense of, am I, am I stupid for feeling this way? You yeah. know, like, I'm not on a basketball team. My life, yeah. I still have a wife that loves me and, and kids that are awesome and I haven't lost my job, you know, like what? So am I dumb for feeling this devastation? And I keep coming back to the podcast that you recorded after Kobe and his daughter passed away on that helicopter, which was such a brilliant podcast. So if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to that, you need to go back and listen to it. And just the whole concept of there is nothing, there's nothing in this world quite like sports and yeah. what it does for, for the human population. And um, even thinking through it for me, that it, it literally, it, it builds a community and it, it really makes it feel like I belong to something. When one of the things in our society that we lack the most. Yeah. And sports is really the only thing on a consistent basis that gives us that. Yeah. And, and I mean, we'll prove that here in a couple of minutes when we talk through our top five, you know, emotional moments, but there's several moments within there that when this, when this moment happens, and, you know, like, so a couple of these, I was there in person to watch it. And in that moment, it didn't matter if you were a Republican or a Democrat. It didn't matter where you were from, how much money you had. Like, everyone. White, black, was on the brown, yeah, straight, we're gay, all on the male, female, whatever. Cheering, high-fiving, hugging. Like, it really does bring us together in a way that I don't know if there's anything else in this world that does so organically, naturally. Yeah. And instantaneously. That's the thing, too, is you can build connections other ways, right? You can build community other ways. 
but it takes so much time. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. It usually is a long drawn out process. You like, you say you meet at church and then you're like, oh, this person seems cool. And then maybe you go to lunch a couple times and then maybe you go and join a small group together and do a little Bible study. And like six months to a year later, then maybe you have some sense of community with these people. Yeah. Whereas at a sporting event and some of these, this happened at some of the ones that, that I, some of these I was watching alone. Cause some, I like to watch sports alone sometimes. Cause I get a little, sometimes I get a little too into it, but <laughs> um, some of these I was either in a sports bar or at the game and instantaneously everybody in the room was your friend and, and pulling in the same direction on something Yep. in an instant and nothing else in this world provides that. Yeah. I, I remember. So last year, just, in, or I guess it was two years ago now, which is crazy to think about, but when Virginia as the one seed gets upset in the yes. first round yes. and sitting in a Buffalo wild wings with 200 people that I've never met in my entire life. And we are all instantaneously on the same page. By the way, rooting for a team that you've never heard of before in your entire life. Yes. Isn't that the incredible thing? It's, it, it, it's insane. And immediately, man, I don't care anything about these people's backstory. We're on the same page. Yeah. Everybody's on the same page. Things were, you know, clinking beer glasses and hugging each other and, you're yeah. like, we have an opportunity to see something that's never happened before. We're all on that same page. There's nobody that's like, well, I had Virginia in my bracket and I really <laughs> want them to win. Everybody's like, UMBC, let's go Retrievers. Let's get it. Immediately. Yeah. Which, yeah, I had Virginia winning the championship that year. And so I, did I. And I was like, I'm who cares? I didn't care. I didn't care. And Not we're all a little bit. just going insane. And, uh, yeah, like, so I work at a church, like ministry is my job. And I would like to say, even like you were saying, I like to say, yes, we come together and we build, which that's ultimately the goal. But like you said, man, that takes time. And, and there's a lot that goes into that. But when you're sitting at a Buffalo Wild Wings and the Cubs make it to the World Series for the first time in forever and people are wearing, you know, angels jerseys next to you and they're high-fiving you and jumping up and down and <laughs> like it's 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 just insane and literally there's nothing and i know we were talking earlier about all the situations throughout history that sports has really brought people together in a time of need um yeah and i, I mean first and foremost you go back to 9-11 right which is kind of the yeah. only thing in terms of like magnitude that i get that these are different things but it's the only thing in terms of like magnitude that even feels close to what we're going through right now. And yes, sports were canceled for like a week, week and a half. But when they came back, it brought everybody together. Yeah. It was one of the most important things for everyone. And, and honestly, that, that image of George Bush throwing out a first pitch at Yankee Stadium yep. is... Regardless of your politics. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's one of the probably best presidential moments, uh, certainly of our lifetimes. But in terms of just symbolic meaning, it's as good of a presidential moment probably as anybody's ever had. Yeah. 
I mean, I get your you go all the way back and you're like talking about like civil wars and revolutionary wars and stuff like that, and that's just like a whole different world. But in terms yeah. of like modern American history, there's not a lot that compares to the visual image of George W. Bush giving like the double middle fingers to every terrorist on the planet <laughs> and saying, not only am I going to walk out here in front of 60,000 people where I'm a sitting duck, I'm going to do it from on top of a mound and throw a perfect strike. How do you like them apples? Yeah. Which have you, have you seen the behind the scenes, just a little documentary of him talking about that moment? Um, yeah, it's on the 30 for 30, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I think it is. I don't know if it's a full 30 for 30 or if it's just a short, but phenomenal. Yeah. He says it's the most nervous he's ever been as a president in any of his moments, which I think just speaks to the, the huge moment that sports can do. Well, and like, you remember the, the where he felt the most nervous. Um, and, and there's a, there's a story he tells about Derek Jeter, who is like, well, you know, you have to throw it from on top of the mound, right? Cause that, like they practice in front of the mound. Yeah. And Jeter's like, you know, you have to throw it from the mound. Right. And he's like, okay, yeah, I can do that. And he's like, well, you better not bounce it. <laughs> Don't bounce it. Don't short <laughs> so it, man. You've already had this, like, amped up, hyped up situation, <laughs> and then Jeter just ratchets the pressure to an 11. Thanks a lot, Derek. <laughs> yeah. But that's what but I that's mean, true. like, that's the, in a, that in one moment, one microcosm, that's what sports yeah. can do, because... After, like, endless, and I don't live in New York, but after that, it felt like everything was going to be okay. Yeah. And you have a sense of, of normalcy, of a routine yes. coming back together, of people joining and cheering and whatever. And so that's what even there's an amazing documentary uh, on Amazon. And their first episode, it talks about, you know, soccer around the world and what it does. And the first episode, you know, it's based in Rwanda and after the genocide and everything that civil war, everything that was happening there and how soccer was really the thing that, uh, obviously not the only thing, but really the thing that helped bring that community back together when they started realizing that the, you know, we can't actually house all of these people that committed crimes, uh, in prison. We just don't have the funds, the resources. And so we have to release them at some point. And these people coming back to their communities and obviously have done awful things, but football was the thing that helped bring community back together and bring people back together. Yeah, and you've got that, and then you've got um, the Invictus rugby story in South Africa with a very similar thing with their apartheid and the racial tensions and everything going on there. And that was a huge – there was a huge – part of the healing in South Africa that was from sports. And that's what part of what feels so bad about, and honestly what gives me more anxiety about what's going on now, because you don't have the distraction, you don't have the community, you just, and that sense of normalcy, like you said, sports are such an ingrained part of our society and our everyday routines for most of us. Um, and honestly, I think that's a big reason why, like, people that aren't engaged in sports don't necessarily, like, if this whole coronavirus thing feels like a bigger deal to people who are immersed in the sports world, because it's like, this thing stopped our world. Like, it stopped our sports yeah. world. 
and nothing else that we've been through, whether it be war, whether it be terrorist attacks, whether it be, you know, elections, nothing else has done that. Yeah. And so you're like, if this has the power to do that, that kind of freaks me out a little bit. Now, and then I talk myself down. I'm like, okay, 80% of the cases are mild. The mortality rates only somewhere in the two to 3% neighborhood, most likely, depending on what numbers you believe. And so you kind of talk yourself down a little bit, but you're also like, okay, our way of life could be disrupted for a little bit, like for a hot minute. Yeah. And that, I mean, you're right. You even look back because you can look through the history books, like the NCAA tournament made it through World War Two, you know, yeah. like Nazis are, are taking over Europe and we're still playing a basketball tournament. I, I think that's how important sports are to to the the world. You, you go all yeah. the way back to the, the beginning of the Olympics and and all these things that, that sports is a way to cope. It's a way of normalcy. Like I said, it's a, it's an anchor in a crazy, unstable world that I can at least sit down and, and watch these two teams battle it out and distract myself from everything that's happening. Yeah. And when that is taken away from you, and I, I do – same thing. I don't want to feel like I'm going overboard, like, you know, because obviously this is a big deal. There's things that are more important than sports. But um, – there's not many things that are more important than our way to handle and cope with the craziness of this world. And sure. when sure. sports is the ability to cope and to distract ourselves from, from what's happening, it, it really does make you sit down and, and reflect and think, man, what, what is happening right now? This is insane. For sure. And it's one of those things that uh, people that aren't engaged in sports on a on a on this level they don't necessarily get it like i was trying to you know i was explaining to my wife and like i said earlier and there's people that are just like hey it's just a game like what are you guys freaking out about and it's like it's a game though that one as you said has endured literally everything (laughs) i mean literally all of the things and so to have that disrupted you're like oh shoot this must be pretty serious and then you've got um, just the fact that it is our way of of coping and escaping and therapy to a certain extent. And honestly, it's just it's a thing that I love and it's taken away. Yeah. You know, and that's it. That's just hard. No matter what the reason is, no matter what the result is. And part of what's so hard about it is you just don't know when it's coming back. It's so That's open. It, yeah. It's it's open ended, right? If they're like, "Hey, thirty days, we're coming back, no matter what, fans or no fans, like we're going," right? And that would be way easier than this open ended, like, "Oh, we don't know." Yeah, yeah. That that's the whole thing of of just <laughs> like it, it could we could we could look back, you know, six weeks from now. And everything could be back to normal. Obviously, no March Madness, which is the the most devastating. But the NBA could be back. Baseball could be starting. The match and that'll help. That'll help a lot, even if there's no fans. Yes, but we could also like we could look back six months from now and still be in a in a holding pattern, in a stage of of hiatus, and still thinking, what's next? You know? Yeah, and I mean, for what it's worth. I don't 
<laughs> Sorry, my dog's climbing all over me. Um, <laughs> um, for what it's worth, I don't think we're here six months from now, right? Um, I hope. Based, based on what we've seen out of like China and some of these other places that got it sooner, South Korea. Now, their response was maybe a little quicker than ours. Not going to comment or politicize on that here, but they're, I mean, they're about six weeks out from their initial outbreaks. And like people are going back to work in China. People are, you know, South Korea has, you know, flattened the curve. We hear that term all the time now in terms of the outbreak. So I honestly, I think. I think we're it's more likely that two months from now we at least have some sports. Um, I think three months from now we probably have something that appears somewhat normal. Um, I don't think this thing stretches all the way into the fall. I, I would hope not. So let's let's do let's do this real quick before we get into these top five moments. Give me and I know I'm asking you this on the spot, so. Forgive me, but give me give me your top two storylines that you were looking forward to that you're you're gonna miss from March Madness this year. I mean, the number one's easy is just for me, Creighton trying to make their first Sweet Sixteen. Um, obviously, I'm immersed in that world pretty deeply, and um, so and them having prop. I mean, most. Likely, it looked like they were going to get a two seed. And then, you know, all you have to beat is a 15 and either a seven or a 10 to get to that final four. So that's a that's a pretty decent road. Or not to the final four, to the sweet 16. So that's a pretty decent road to get there. Um, so that was big storyline number one for me. Number two was I wanted to see if one of these mid-majors could win the national championship. Whether yeah. Dayton, Gonzaga, San Diego State, you know, I really like when the little guy gets to win and Gonzaga is not really a little guy anymore in terms of college basketball landscape. But when you remember like what their university is, you're like, Oh, that's still like a tiny school and a tiny conference. Yeah. Um, and, and they haven't broken through and won that national title yet in at Gonzaga as even though they've come incredibly close. So to me, those were the top two storylines, whether like a Dayton, Gonzaga, or San Diego State could win the national title and if and if Creighton could break through you into the Sweet 16. Yeah. What about you? Well, I I could say the same thing because I'm immersed in the Illinois basketball world. Um, first time being back in the tournament for seven years and really felt like they had a team that was clicking and was built for tournament play. They rebound, sure. they play defense, um, and they have a closer in Io DeSumo. And so really trying to see if not only was it fun to be back for the first time in forever for a program that has historically been good, great, and to be back into some sort of a exciting national conversation, but to see if they could actually make a run um, and, and cause some upsets. And, and uh, so that was sad. But then also – a couple of things. Dayton is what I was going to go with, but you kind of covered that. Just a, a city or a school that has probably the greatest team the school has ever seen before. Yeah, and, and in all likelihood, ever will see. Ever will see. Probably never reach those heights again. Um, but then all the other schools that that broke records of of not being in the tournament. 
um, when you think of a Rutgers that hasn't been since what, like 1991, and they were yeah. finally going to have their name called, and what Steve Pikel has done there, and and just being able to see the reward of his of of his work. That's why we were talking earlier that we think they should still release a bracket, even though it'd be kind of a a gut punch as sports fans to see what could have been and then not not receive it. But just for for people like that to see the reward of what they've put into this season, all the work sure. they've they've had. But then, yeah, like like you said, with Dayton or even a team like Houston that that I felt like you know struggled a little bit, but was still uh, still built pretty well, and and uh, Kelvin Sampson kind of returning a little bit to the coaching spotlight, and so um, yeah, I, there's a lot that that I'm gonna miss. At the end of the day, though, I think as crazy as this year was. It was the cream was probably going to rise to the top, and we were going to have a final four of Kansas, Duke, Kentucky. You know, like just the the people that are always always there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think Kansas because Kansas was legitimately really good once. Uh, once Azubuki came back, they were really really good. But I don't think Duke was that good. I don't think Kentucky was that good. I do think Baylor was that good, but they're not really a blue blood. They're kind of new on the scene as well in terms of basketball. Um, I I really think Kansas out of the Blue Bloods was the only one that was going to make a run. The other yeah. teams were so incredibly flawed in terms of just their construction. And that's what you're starting to see with a lot of these teams that focus real heavily on the one and done. Like, yes, it's worked a couple times. Well, maybe just the once with Kentucky. Just, in terms of- I was about to say, just kind of that one time. Because even you look at Duke last year with Zion, like. Yeah, they got bounced. Um. And so I don't know that I I don't know that I believe that because you look at the I mean Gonzaga has the talent and the experience. Um, Dayton probably doesn't have the top end talent outside of Obi Toppin, but they have experience. They're well put together. There's not a lot of flaws on that team. Whereas when you have these teams, even if they're incredibly talented guys, sometimes you're an 18 year old playing against a 23 year old, and that's a disadvantage. Still. Yeah. yeah, you know, like that's not. You might be better, but it's still a disadvantage. And so, because yeah. well, you're just hearing my you're hearing my defeatist attitude that this tournament would have sucked anyways. So it would yeah, just I don't, I just don't believe that because it never does. <laughs> it never sucks. It never does. It has never failed to entertain and to and to pull through. At least those first four days, especially I've never the opening had a weekend. I've, I've never, never been had disappointed. An weekend where I where I was. Wow, I wish I wouldn't have watched that, you know, every yeah. time. And I, I think that is the – so if I was to add another storyline to kind of wrap up that conversation, is the Cinderella we don't get. Oh. Who would it have been? When you look at a team like a like a Hofstra or, you know, like those – like a Bradley randomly yeah. out of Peoria, Illinois, you know, like who's the Cinderella we don't get that would have made a run – that would have made a name for themselves. Some random white boy that can dance really well, that is hitting threes. You know, like, dude, and that could, I mean, could have changed a coach's career, could have changed a player's yep. career, could have changed the trajectory of the school. Like, think back, like, what was it like? I think it was like 99. What if, if for some reason there was some huge tragedy in 1999, they canceled the NCAA tournament and Gonzaga never makes that first Elite Eight run? Then what happens? Do we still get Gonzaga? Do we still get this Gonzaga? Yeah. Maybe, but I don't know. Or say you cancel the uh, 
was it 2008 when Steph Curry was a, a sophomore at Davidson? You know, just dropping everything. Yeah, just killing everybody. Takes them to the Elite Eight. They're within a shot of knocking off Kansas to go to the Final Four. Is Steph Curry? You know, does he go in the top ten like he did the next year if the, he doesn't have that on his resume where he just took out Giants? I don't know, maybe, but yeah, there's one, there's something like that every year. Yeah, I mean, I'll Dante, Dante, Dante DiVincenzo, when Villanova won their last national championship, drops like 25 or whatever in the championship game. That dude wasn't even considering leaving for the draft. He was going to be the guy at Villanova next year. Goes off in the championship game. He's a first-round draft pick, and now he's killing it with Milwaukee. Like, they yeah. could win an NBA title this year with him as a major contributor. Or how about how about Kemba Walker just running through the tournament? Cardiac oh, Kemba. Yeah, you know, and even beyond, even beyond that, like I just love watching a Northern Iowa knock off a Kansas or dude, Ali Farouk-Banesh. Uh, I'll never forget that name for the rest of my life. Yeah. So who do we not know now because of COVID-19? Dude, did I ever tell you my Ali Farouk-Banesh story? I don't think so. Okay. So it's gotta be, uh, <laughs> Oh, it's, it's Class. Nobody has a bad one, you know, anytime they meet him. So it's um, so Ali Farouk hits that huge, just giant onions, zero F's given three pointer against Kansas, Northern Iowa as an eight seed knocks off Kansas, like, I don't know, 12 years ago, something like that. When everyone's that... yelling at him to the corner, just go yeah, to the corner. There's just, like just 30 the seconds left. They just wanted him to run the shock, the, the clock out, get fouled. But instead, he nails this three-pointer that is just the absolute dagger and that's ball game yeah can't um, even run back or because he's tripping over his balls man <laughs> he's got him in a wheelbarrow um, a- <laughs> <laughs> um so that's ali fruk right so we uh grace university may she rest in peace um <laughs> i used Pulling to coach up. there and we hosted a like NAIA D2 Summer League. Um, uh, Creighton played in this, the, they, in the Division One division of this Summer League, and then there was a, a lower, a smaller college division that uh, Grace hosted. And I'm there kind of supervising stuff because that's I was on staff at uh, Grace at the time on their basketball staff. So I'm, I'm going around watching games and stuff, and about halfway through the first half, this guy shows up for one of the teams. He was running late, and he got there, and he just throws his shoes on, jumps in the game, and starts going. I was like, that guy kind of looks familiar. And he misses, like, three shots in the first half, and I, I can't figure out who he is. He hadn't done anything special in the, in the game so far, and I just can't figure out who he is. Well, in the second half, this team was down, like, 15 points, just starts getting buckets, right? Pulling from everywhere. And just drop it. He probably dropped like 25 in the second half of this running clock game um, at a summer league and just getting buckets. And I'm like, man, I know I know this guy from somewhere. He they're down two with like six seconds left. And this guy gets the ball in the inbound, sprints all the way down the court and just like on a full sprint stop. Raises up, nails a three-pointer, ball game, and just walks off. And 
when he turned, I was like, I, I still can't figure out who this guy is. And so I, I go to one of his teammates and I'm like, hey, who was who was that guy? And they're like, oh, that's Ali Farouk Manesh. And I was just like, <laughs> so the so the big balls life, he didn't choose that. That chose him. That's just it just chose him. Yeah. You just can't help it. It was, <laughs> it was incredible. I was like, yep, that's what I would expect at Ali Farouk Manesh. <laughs> that's him. That's him. Yeah, it Dude. was incredible. It was incredible. Dude, my so my my pickup game story is. Uh, do you remember? You remember Luther Head from the? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, from the uh, 04 national title runner up, 05. Yeah, 05. yeah, 05. So he, he, yeah, he was a guard that was playing there. He's at Illinois for four years, and um, so I, I was at this event when I was a kid that he played for the Rockets um, for a hot minute, right? Yeah, yeah, real hot minute. Yeah. Um, I was at this event when I was a kid. I had a friend whose grandparents were like, you know, donors to the U of I. And so they had this kind of cookout um, event with the team. And so I've got this hat. Uh, uh, it's at the house. Um, I got this hat that's signed from that event. And it's like, you know, Bill Self and Luther Head, D. Brown, Darren Williams. Um, this was right before Bill Self left. And, uh, we're all just hanging out and they've got this outdoor basketball court and people are like, Oh, let's do like a four on four game with, you know, intermixed with kids and with, you know, Illinois players and it'll be a fun experience. And so like, yeah. And so, you know, Dean Darren are out there and Roger Powell and, um, you know, they're just having a good time. They're playing there's a bunch of like seven to 11 year olds and these college basketball players <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Not Luther head, man. Luther head was out for buckets. He, <laughs> He probably dropped 30. He probably had 30-plus blocks. There wasn't a kid <laughs> that tried to shoot next to him, and he swatted everything, you know, like swatting it off the basketball court. <laughs> He's doing alley-oops and dunks and jumping over kids. Like, So same thing, man. He didn't choose the, the life, man. It just chose him. <laughs> Couldn't help it. It's like that uh, – have you seen that video that came out like last week of Taco Fall at like a – community center he's like <laughs> seven six right and he's like so he's it's a it's like a six foot rim so he's like staring at the the box on the backboard and all these little kids <laughs> he's standing by the rim and like these 30 kids are shooting he just swats all of them right just... <laughs> yeah it's incredible yeah so it's it's good man so from that moment on luther head was my favorite athlete because <laughs> i just yeah. think he was about that life man he just he couldn't turn it off <laughs> I appreciate that. I really do. Um, all right, let's get into our uh, top five favorite or our top five most emotional sports moments of our lives. And I actually have six. I have like a runner up. Okay, that's or, like, good. An, an honorable mention. So, uh, do you want to start? You want to go from like, you want to go from five to one? You want to go from yeah, six we, to? We can do that. Um, all right. I'm, let me get my honorable mention first, for, so we have the same number. Too, so, you have yeah, an honorable mention too. I have an honorable you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, I'll do mine first. So, my honorable mention was, um, and I don't remember the exact event it was. It was in it was in the 2008 Olympics when Michael Phelps was going for the all time record in gold medals in the single games. Right, he was trying to get eight, I think, and Mark Spitzer, whoever had seven. And 
So I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, it was on my 21st birthday, or the yeah, it was on my 21st birthday, and so me and a bunch of my friends are at Buffalo Wild Wings, getting food and drinks or whatever, and celebrate my birthday. Well, Michael Phelps, it was that race. I believe it was the breaststroke, but I confused the breaststroke and the butterfly, so I'm not 100% sure. But it's the one where he was, what's that? I said, we all do. They're hard to keep track. It was one of the funny ones, one of the funny looking ones, right? (laughs) Um, And, you know, I think it was the butterfly, actually. I think it was the butterfly. So he is trailing one of the Australian guys, maybe Ian Thorpe, um, by about a half a body length with like half the pool to go. And it looks like, oh, man, he's not going to win the gold medal. He's not going to win the gold medal. And then he just starts closing. And every stroke, he gains like a foot on uh, on the Australian guy. I think it was Ian Thorpe. Just gains another foot, gains another foot. And he almost pulls even. And they're about the, at the end of the pool. And he takes like this tiny little half stroke and touches first. By It was but legitimately he won by one hundredth of a second. And... <sighs> Literally the entire Buffalo Wild Wings just explodes. And it's freaking swimming, man. Like, nobody cares about swimming. <laughs> and everybody just explodes. The, that's as loud as I've ever heard a restaurant during a sporting event. It was incredible. And, um, you know, I, I get people get, like, way into the Olympics and everything in America, and I get it. But it was – that kind of, like, to me, is just, like, in in a nutshell – like how much sports can bring people together because it's sports people don't even care about a lot of the time, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it was just, it, it's one of the, I think it's one of the most like famous moments in, in Olympic history because his little like half stroke was like completely unorthodox. He's just like, I need a little extra juice to get to the wall. Got to win. And uh, yeah, he was able to do it. And that was, it was a fun night for me anyway. Cause it was like my 21st birthday. I was there with a bunch of my friends, um, but he just got it done. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that. That was crazy. So uh, honorable mention for me is actually this past year, this past November, Illinois versus Michigan State at Michigan State. Um, Illinois is five and four. Haven't been to a bowl game in a long time. Still trying to figure out if this Lovey Smith thing is is going to work out. Is working or not? And, yeah, and we're down twenty one uh, in the fourth quarter, and so you know not. Not looking good to not great Michigan State team, a really bad Michigan State team. And uh, they they start coming back. We end up scoring 27 points in the fourth quarter, win by three on a last second touchdown pass. You know, it, it was insane. But there was a moment on the final drive where uh, it was fourth and 17 and everything was looking bad. We had the ball. We're down four. And. Uh, Brandon Peters, our quarterback, drops back, kind of just rolls out a little bit to his left, and then just heaves, Hail Mary style, heaves the ball uh, 30, 40 yards downfield. And Josh Amaterbebe, I don't know if you've seen his videos trending on on Twitter recently. He's got like a 43-inch vertical or something like that. It's ridiculous. He actually has a video of him jumping at a workout where he, he levitates in the air. I'll send you this link afterwards. And if you're oh, listening to this. I did see that win. It looks like he like stops in the air. Yeah, he stops in mid in midair. And so this dude's just a freak athlete. So Brandon Peters just throw, fourth and 17. We're all like, you know, you've already done that stuff inside. We're like, oh, we're going to lose. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm 
you know, preparing myself for this heartbreak. And yeah. he, this dude jumps over two guys, snatches this ball, comes down with it, first and 10. And you knew from that moment, like, I knew that we were going to win. And so yeah. we do drive down, you know, 20 more yards, throw a game winning touchdown pass in the last second. But that was the moment I was in our church lobby in the middle <laughs> of the service watching on my phone. And I put the life safety team on alert because I just lost it. Like just sprinting around the lobby, just, ah, so that play is forever known as fourth and Bebe. Um, and, uh, it, it was insane. So it's honorable mention because it, it did invoke a lot of emotion, but it's still so new. I don't know if it earned top five of all time. Fair enough. I do have a very new one in my top five, um, but number – Which is fair. Number um, – number f- these aren't really in – I don't know. I don't know how much of an order these are actually in, but this is the number five. that I, This is – it's the order in which I thought of them. So in some way, that's probably the order of importance to me. Um, number five for me, also an America-related one, um, 2010, when Landon Donovan scores the game-winning goal against Algeria. Um, that was a pretty sweet uh, – because it looked like they were going to lose, right? You're in like the 92nd or 93rd minute. Or they looked like they were going to draw. And if they draw with Algeria, they didn't get out of the group. And yeah. so the stakes were high. Um, they, uh, Tim Howard gets the ball, throws it all the way, um, throws it all the way down to, I, I think it was Clint Dempsey made the run. Yeah. So, so here's the thing is this is, this is my, this is my number two. Okay. So we can both yeah. talk about this one. So, so Clint, Clint, no, um, uh, Okay, yeah, keep going. I th- I thought it was Clint Dempsey made the run up the right side, takes a shot, it gets blocked by the Algeria goalie, and then Landon Donovan comes flying out of nowhere to punch it into the back of the net off the rebound, and just chaos ensues. Yeah. And you were with, like, Al and Josh watching this, weren't you? Uh, yeah. So I was supposed to go meet up with you guys because you were in Lincoln for that summer. Yeah. And... I overslept, and so I'm just at my house by myself watching this thing, watching like the second half, and this happens. And when it, I, and so when it happens, some it's funny because some of these moments, like some of my favorite moments in sports, I'm by myself watching, and I just end up screaming or laughing in my house like a maniac. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what happened in this one. I was I remember I was at my parents' house. I was watching in the living room, and. Landon Donovan punches it in and basically for a buzzer beating win to send uh, to send uh, the U.S. to the knockout rounds. And I just start screaming. I just start screaming at the top of my lungs. And it was just incredibly cool, incredibly emotional. Yeah. So, like I said, that's my number two. Um, I actually think I, I don't think we were watching that together. I think that was so emotional that they then came up for the Ghana game, which was the next game out of. Oh, the, okay. And we we lost that one in in extra time because that's what Illinois or Illinois. That's what the U.S. does in uh, the knockout stages is they just lose and they just lose. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, it, it was uh, it it was insane because it was so much emotion. Like you said, there's that was really the first world cup that I cared about. Um, 
because in 2006 I was on a uh, I was on a mission trip in Costa Rica, and so I watched the 2006 World Cup in Costa Rica, and that like solidified. Wow, this is pretty cool. This is intense. Yeah. You know, Costa Rica even, wasn't in the World for, Cup at that stage, and they were playing. Even for people that don't necessarily love soccer, like the World Cup is just an incredibly cool event. Yeah, um, and I, I first got I first got into soccer. The first one I remember watching was in 1998 when uh, France beat Brazil for the uh, for the World Cup title. And I mean, I watched the MLS after that. The MLS kicked off that right after that. And like, I was so into soccer from that. I was like, I was like, hey, I want to watch more soccer. Now, I kind of came and went as I got older, but I've always been into the World Cup. I don't always follow a league, um, although I do like I'm a Liverpool guy in the Premier League, but which yeah. they're having a great year. Hopefully they don't cancel the rest of that because that would blow. Because um, <laughs> it's the first, it would be their first EPL title in like 40 years or something. Yeah. It's the greatest season ever, ever played. By anyone ever in the EPL. Yeah. I it's mean, insane it's what Liverpool is doing right now. Yeah. Um, and so they, uh, yeah, so I don't always follow a league and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have the MLS on or whatever when, uh, when it's on, but. Yeah, I've always been in the World Cup. The World Cup's just one of those events that, and that's why it was such a bummer that the U.S. wasn't didn't qualify this year or this past yeah. year, a couple of years ago, two thousand eight or two thousand eighteen, right? Well, and yeah, and because the the World Cup is so insane because it's only every four years, and so when you miss a cycle like the U.S. did this this past cycle, like that's a lot of youth that you're almost throwing. You think of Christian Pulisic right now. Yeah, you got to add another six years that he's been training for this next World Cup. Like he's essentially an old man by the time we get to the next one. So hey, I so yeah, I just looked it up. This is why this this moment was so big and so emotional is because if they draw, they don't they don't advance out of the group. So it's zero Algeria. zero. Yeah, against Algeria. Yeah. So it's zero zero. Ninety first minute. Uh, Tim Howard makes a save. Algeria. Honestly, they should have scored. They had a free header. Tim Howard makes a save. He throws the ball like 50 yards. Yes. To, to the right side of the field. He actually throws Landon Donovan starts the run. So oh. he takes the ball on on uh, the right side of the field, starts the run, takes two touches, uh, drops it off to Josie, and then Josie sends it in. Dempsey pokes the the shot that the keeper saves, but Landon Donovan kept his run going. And so he just sprints out of nowhere in the middle of the 18. Taps that thing in, and then he doesn't slow down, which makes that celebration so insane. Yes. He taps it in and just keeps running full speed, does a penguin dive towards the corner flag, and literally the entire bench, the entire staff, all of management, dogpiles on top of him. And it's just the most insane soccer moment that I've ever been a part of. That's why it was my number two. Yeah, for sure. I, so I was right. Dempsey did take the initial shot, though, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. So he just wasn't he wasn't making the initial run, but he took the shot and Donovan. Yeah. I knew I had Dempsey in my head for some reason. Yeah. Um, Dempsey's a gangster, man. He's the best. Dude, Dempsey is legit. Um, or was. He's old now. But he's old now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of stuff, but what's that? He's a rapper. You ever Oof. heard a song? No. He's got an album. Is it good? I'll let you make that choice when you listen to it later. <laughs> I'm not going to draft him to be on a pod, dude. <laughs> one of the one of the probably two or three best uh, American soccer players of all time, though. 
Oh, for sure. For sure. Because it's what, like Dempsey, Donovan. Tim Howard. Howard's got to be. I don't, I don't know if yeah. you're going to put a keeper in that conversation, but Tim Howard is is a beast. Just with his, what is it, like 23 saves against Belgium in yes. the stages in 14. Like, yeah. That Incredible. dude is a stud. Is a stud. Okay, so my so my five I, that kind of counts as my two as well. But uh, so my five is another soccer moment. It's the John Brooks header against Ghana in the opening game in 2014. Um, okay. So Clint Dempsey. Speaking of Dempsey, Dempsey scores in the first 30 seconds of that game. So fastest World Cup goal in in uh, U.S. soccer history. He just, you know, takes it, nutmegs the dude, crosses over, sends it far post. And it was huge because it was a redemption game against Ghana because um, they had knocked us out of the previous, like we said in 2010, knocked us out of the World Cup. And so to start like that was just insane. Well, then a couple minutes later, Josie goes down with a torn hamstring. We're shorthanded. We don't have a striker. Ghana goes on the offensive. And the next, like, 80 minutes is just Ghana peppering our goal. Yes. They finally get a, a tying goal in, like, the, I don't know, the 81st minute or something like that. And you just have this gut punch of, oh, my gosh, Ghana has done it again. And background of this group is it was the, it was the group of death. And so it was us, Ghana, and then Germany and Portugal. And so we knew if we you don't get three points out of Ghana, you're not going to get three points out of Germany or Portugal. Well, they should have gotten three points out of Portugal. They should have, yes, because they were trash and they gave up a yeah, stupid last-second goal where uh, Cristiano Ronaldo puts a dime on somebody from about 50 oh, yards. gosh. One of the best passes I've ever seen in my entire life. But you know what? That's what Ronaldo does. He was trash that entire game and then randomly – anyways whatever so we do, <laughs> we knew, that's what makes that's what makes these three points so vital because without this this game you don't because advance. Ronaldo did that you don't advance and so just a gut punch and then Klinsman makes these subs sends on this John Brooks kid who we really don't know at this point he's a center back this tall lanky kid from Germany and uh, we get a corner. Graham Zusi sends it in. John Brooks comes out of nowhere, heads this ball in in like the 87th minute or something like that. And I'm telling you, the amount of pandemonium that happened in my house, in my living room, <laughs> in that moment. And then you hear backstory that John Brooks had had a dream the night before that he scored the winning goal. And he didn't even play. Like he wasn't a guy that played often. Yeah. He has a dream that he scores the winning goal, and then it happens, and you see him celebrate by just in complete shock of just, like, falling to his face. It was an insane moment. For sure. Um, all right. Number – more soccer than I was expecting here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I keep telling you we need to talk soccer on the pod, man. Here we go. We might have to. Might that If England keeps playing the EPL, that might be the only thing we have left. Um, no, they just bit so don't worry about it oh dang it yeah but you know what look at josh because we're talking soccer i bet there's no hockey moments in these top fives there is not um although uh yeah there there might be some in the in our nhl hockey game that that i could bring up when i beat josh that he would love um (laughs) (laughs) certainly that he didn't swear at me about all the time so um so my number four is Steph Curry against Oklahoma City in February of 2016. I don't remember the exact day. 
It's a random regular season game. But it's the game where Curry set the record at the time. Clay Thompson later broke it for 12 threes in a game. It's in the middle of uh, Golden State's 73-win season, Mm. which is just my favorite season to have followed of any sports team ever. It was just so much fun because they played such fun basketball. I love Steph Curry. Like, he's my dude. And it was just the pinnacle of basketball that I've ever seen played in my life, both in terms of – What's that? You know what I loved about that season? If you say Cleveland coming back 3-1, I'm ending the podcast. (laughs) Um, You mean how the NBA jobbed them by suspending Draymond? Um, Well, maybe you should stop kicking people in the nuts, my dude. Well, maybe LeBron shouldn't stand over people like a punk. Listen, I'll give you that. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) You know, that Um, lot could be an honorable mention for me, too, because that was an insane moment. We're not going to talk about that here. Okay, you, this is your um, turn. Go for it. So it's in the middle of the season. It's my favorite. It's probably my favorite team, professional team for sure, to ever have followed and watched. There's a couple of Creighton teams that I really enjoyed. But um, so this game is in, I believe it's in overtime. And Curry has the ball. It's tied. They're coming up. Uh, he's dribbling up the left side of the court. And... He gets just past half court, and you can see everybody on the Oklahoma City bench telling Andre Roberson to get up on him, to guard him as soon as he crosses yeah. half court. <laughs> Roberson is like, he takes one half step back too many, and Curry pulls it from like 38 or 40 feet, just drills it. And it was like the epitome. It was every great thing that Steph Curry did in that season, his second MVP season is basically summed up in that shot for me. And their team as a whole just is summed up in that shot for me, where it was like, oh, this ridiculous thing that nobody should ever do and a terrible shot that nobody should ever take, well, we're going to take it, we're going to make it, and we're going to win. <laughs> and it was just that that shot encapsulizes that Warriors team to me. And it's just, I screamed. It, I mean, it's like midnight because it's a West Coast game. So it's like midnight. Um, and so I'm by myself in my living room watching this and it, I, I just yelled like an idiot, Like you know how like Mike Breen does the, Oh, bang or whatever. Like I did that without the bang. I was just like, "Ah!" it was, it was crazy. Um, so that's my number four. Mine is, uh, I remember that moment too. These are all good moments because I, I, yeah, similar, similar emotions. So mine is uh, 2007, and uh, Illinois played Penn State, and there's this moment where uh, Juice Williams throws the ball to this freshman wide receiver named Aurelius Ben, and he stiff arms everyone in the universe, <laughs> literally, and and has this. Yeah, he even he stiff arms one of his own teammates. To, to score on a 29-yard touchdown catch and run. And uh, it might not seem like that big of a moment, but as an Illinois fan, like up till this moment, the, the four seasons before this season, we had won eight games yes. in four years. Like total. that's not, not ideal. Good. Yeah, eight total, not eight games a year, eight games total in four, in four seasons. Years. That's hard to do. And, 
I had I had this moment the year before where I was sitting in the stands, we're playing against Penn State, and we go into halftime halftime uh, down fifty six to three at halftime. Um, That's bad. And here we are a year later, and we end up winning the game. So it was a real like come to moment, but it was this big moment of kind of revenge against what had happened the year before. Um, but also this moment of, Oh my gosh, I have something to root for again. The amount of blowout yeah. I had sat in, I had watched from start to finish because I just wanted to have this sense of I'm a real fan. I'm a true fan, but just being devastated week after week after week. <laughs> and then to sit there and to watch this kid, this freshman, who we've had a lot of freshmen we had high hopes for, but then it you know fizzled out one reason or another. But to have someone who has so much hype actually come through and, like I said, stiff-arm the universe, shove it to the world. He also had a kickoff return for a touchdown in that game. As we beat a ranked Penn State team, um, it was just – it was an incredible moment. Um, that kind of reminds me – and I don't know why – this is another one where um, I'm going to throw it in as an honorable mention right here. It was in 2009, I believe, the Texas Tech versus Texas game, I believe it was on Halloween. Yeah. And Michael Crabtree catches the ball on the sideline with like three seconds left and should go out of bounds so that Texas yep. Tech can kick a field goal and tie the game and go to overtime. Instead, he sticks his foot in the ground turns up field and scores. And listen, I've always loved Mike Leach, so I have like a weird affinity for those Texas Tech teams, um, as we've discussed on this podcast before with my love of Mike Leach. But it was also, I was at a bar, and it was also just one of the coolest moments because like you usually don't get like walk-offs like that in football. You know what I mean? And this Texas Tech like I think rose to number two in the country that next week. It was just an incredible, incredible game and such an exciting finish. So that's actually, despite not being a team I care about, was on one it is one of the more emotional moments I've had watching a sport event just because of how everything happened. Yeah. Well, and that was that was a crazy moment because at the time Texas was the thing. And so to watch Texas Tech Texas was number one, I think. Were were they in the, I don't remember what they were ranked. They were but, either yeah. number one or number two. Because that was well, that was the Colt McCoy year, I think. That's the year they played for the national title in 2009. That's the first Alabama title. And their only loss that year was to Texas Tech. Because there was like a three-way tie between Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and Texas for the Big 12 South title. Maybe a... Yeah. And, and Texas won the tiebreaker, and so they played in the, in the uh, Big 12 championship game against Nebraska... In which, you know, the Ndamukong Sioux game and the uh, one more second on the clock happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, just looked it up. Texas, they were both 8-0. Texas was ranked number one coming into the game. And uh, I, I'd forgotten about this. Texas Tech had jumped out to a big lead. And Texas came roaring back. Yeah. Yeah. So it was almost like that typical, uh, this is what always happens. You know, the the little brother gets out to a big lead, but then reality kicks in. 
And yep. so, like, yeah, that was the emotion of all of it. And then when Crabtree does this thing, it was almost like just a sigh of relief of, oh, my gosh, they did it. They pulled yeah, it off. For sure. Um, okay, so that's not really on my list, but your, your uh, Aurelia's Ben story reminded me of that. Um, that's a good one. So my number three is, again, this, and so this is my recent one. This happened literally a week ago. And you asked me to narrow all these down to a moment. So here's the moment I chose. Um, last week, Creighton beat Seton Hall by 17 to win the Big East regular season title, which is the only Big East title that got awarded this year because um, everything got canceled. Now, and Creighton won all the tiebreakers, so they were the number one seed. So they're the real Big East champion. I get there that Seton go. Hall and Villanova are going to get a banner, and I'm fine with that. But everybody knows Creighton won the tiebreakers. They're the number one seed. They were three and one. They were three and one against Seton Hall and Villanova this year. They won the tiebreaker. Seton Hall didn't even come yep. close, didn't touch them. And Villanova, they beat like 75 out of the 80 minutes they played, but Villanova got a win in one of those. So Creighton's the real champ. Just had to get that out there. I um, believe you. I mean, you don't have to believe me. Go look at the standings. I mean, go look at the seed lines. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, they won the tiebreakers. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, um, okay. So there's a moment in that game with about nine minutes left. Uh, Creighton was down three, 50 to 47. They put in their version of a death lineup at that point, their small ball lineup, which has been dominating people all year. From that point on, they outscored Seton Hall 27 to 10. So they tied the game at 50. When they tied the game at 50, they put in the death lineup. They outscored Seton Hall 27 to 10. And it was this avalanche that happened so fast that you couldn't really appreciate that. It took me a minute to be like, oh, Creighton's going to win. Like Creighton's going to win the Big East title. It wasn't until there was about a minute and a half left and Tyshawn Alexander just kind of lulls his guy to sleep and hits this dagger three to put him up 17 with like a minute and a half left. And as he's like flexing on everybody and screaming and running back and 18,500 people in Omaha are going crazy in the CHI health center. It just like hit me. I was like, we just won the big East. Like, yes, they were up 17 points. It wasn't a buzzer beat or anything like that, but I really didn't feel it. And like until they were up 17 with a minute and a half, I didn't feel safe. And it just hit me. I was like, holy bleep, man, we just won the big East. And like I, I didn't cry, but I did start tear. I got a little choked up. Like it was a big, big moment for me. Um, so that's my number three. Um, okay, so my my three is uh, 1999. My dad um, asked if I wanted to go see Illinois play at Michigan. Is this Kirk Kittner? Well, you know it. So there's. <laughs> So I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, 1999, I'm like 10, I'm 11 years old. And uh, we, we, my dad and I had kind of started this thing where we're just kind of traveling around to follow uh, Illinois. And uh, so we go to the big house and we're down 20 going into the fourth quarter, which is typical. This is a, a Michigan team that had uh, Tom Brady starting for him. Pretty good. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, so we go, we're down 20. They kind of, they start to make this comeback and it's like, oh my gosh, this, this is insane. We're sitting on the 50 yard line. 
Um, I had had a beer thrown on me walking into the stadium for, cool. for wearing an cool. Illinois jersey. Yeah. So, you. Uh, yeah, a guy yelled at my dad and said, you should teach your kid to dress right and threw a beer on me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, bad props to my dad for having restraint in that moment and not um, – you know, getting us killed from a hundred thousand other people. So you're a dad in that moment. Are you getting 25 to life for whatever that guy just did to your kid? Yeah. I don't see how, um, I don't, I don't see how I get away from that one. So, <laughs> uh, I've asked my dad, I was like, why did well, you just kind of, you know, what was your thought? And he was like, well, well, no, you deserved it. You're wearing an Illinois jersey. So, um, <laughs> No, he didn't. He didn't say that. He's just like, listen, I recognize in that moment we were vastly outnumbered. And so uh, he had words with the guy, but he didn't, you know, he didn't throw a punch or anything. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not like that ends well for you no matter what. No, you know? And so there's so there's a little bit added emotion coming into this. So we actually we jump up 28, 27 in the final minutes. And it's like, oh, my gosh, we, we came all the way back. We've got the lead. There's a couple of minutes left. But like I said, whenever the underdog, you know, pulls ahead at the end, more often than not, the people who should win, win the game. They find a way to figure it out. And so sure. even when we have the lead sitting on the 50-yard line, um, there's, this, there's this piece in the back of my mind of anything could happen. I've seen this played out a million times. Well, Illinois gets an interception. And all we have to do is run out the clock and, and you're still kind of waiting for the worst to, to happen. And in that moment, Rocky Harvey, most people don't know, but he is my idol. Um, Rocky Harvey busts out a 56 yard touchdown run and goes just sprinting down the sideline right in front of us, dives into the end zone in one of the most iconic photos in, in Illinois football history. And, uh, it was one of the most emotional moments of, of my life. Just sitting there on the, like I said, on the 50 yard line, three rows up going insane as you can almost hear your voice echo around the big house. Cause everyone else is just in stunned silence that <laughs> right. Illinois who has been trashed forever is making this. And, uh, there's a moment after that where, you know, we win the game and Brandon Lloyd comes up and gives me his wristband and it was just an insane moment. But then listening to, to the radio show on the way home, the local Michigan radio show and people calling in and they're like, Rocky, who? <laughs> and I think from that moment, they were calling for Lloyd Carr to be fired, you know, all, all of this stuff. And it was just such like from having a beer dumped on you to being down 20 to making the comeback and thinking, okay, they'll probably still lose it, to that moment where Rocky Harvey dives into the end zone and hearing your voice echo in the big house, it was insane. Yeah, that would be incredible. Um, all right, my number – oh, by the way, a little break here. Iona just hired Rick Pitino as their head basketball coach. Wait. Iona. The Gales. The G- <laughs> Rick Pitino. Wow. The 15-second man himself. <laughs> that's a that's a uh that's a leap of faith for my owner there. It I sure is. Go the back they're going to get Yeah. Iona. Wow. Anyway, just wanted to throw that in there since, you know, I I'm I've got the I've got the uh, TV on right now and just came up on the uh, bottom line. But wow. Um all right, my number 2 is 
Game four of the 2004 ALCS. And I've got a tie for two moments from this game. I hope you'll allow it. I, yeah. You know what? It's your podcast, so you do what you want. It is my podcast. Um, but you've kind of set the rules for this little game we're playing here. So um, I'm going to pick two moments because because really I narrowed down that entire 2004 Red Sox World Series mm-hmm. to just this game. So I'm going to I'm going to give myself two moments in this one. OK, that's um, fine. So from the context. Red Sox, 86 years without a World Series. It's hard to remember that now because they've won four in the last 15. Um, but 86 years, they're down 3-0 to the Yankees at this point. And they're down by one going into the bottom of the ninth against Mariano Rivera, who was invincible. And uh, Bill Miller draws a walk and gets a pinch runner for um, Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts comes in and immediately steals second base. And it was close and it was terrifying because (laughs) it was real close. Um, And so they, oh no, Bill Miller got the hit. I don't remember who got walked. Somebody got walked. Bill Miller's up at the plate when he steals second. And then Bill Miller slaps a hit right up the middle, right between Mariano Rivera's legs. And you see Dave Roberts coming around and slides into home and then pops up and does like a, a fist pump thing all in one motion. That's my first moment right there. They tie the game, send it to extra innings. My second moment is in the bottom of the 12th. David Ortiz, it's a walk-off home run to send it into, uh, to keep from getting swept and to send it, in, to, send it to, to game five. The reason... I picked that game was a, if they don't win that game, they get swept. Like I don't think people appreciate how close they were to getting swept in the ALCS and never getting to the world series, much less winning it. The other reason is they swept the world series against the Cardinals. So it was a little anticlimactic. That part of it was like coming back from three Oh against the Yankees. That was the emotional part. Yeah. Um, And it all started with those two moments. So that's my number two is, is a combination of those two moments. David Ortiz hit the walk off Homer and uh, Dave Roberts stealing second and getting brought around uh, by Bill Miller. Yeah. Uh, by the way, one of my favorite 30 for 30s is the... Four Nights know, in October? Yeah. So yeah. good. It's it's so good. Dude, um, and that was, also, that was also at a time in my life. So I'm 17 at that point. And it's at a time in my life where I care about sports more than anything in the world, right? Because you don't have really response. I was a senior in high school. I really didn't have any other responsibilities or anything like that. Like, it was just me, like, and caring about sports. And I didn't, I didn't have anything else that I had to care about at the time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you become yeah. an adult. You have responsibilities. You have a mortgage. You have car payment, whatever. You have kids, wife. But when you're that age, like high school and college, like you have, like, that's all you have to worry about. Yeah. Sometimes I think back about those days and think, man, that was, that was, that was living the dream at those moments, man. Man, I so, think that's, I think that's part of the reason not to go back to this, but I think that's part of the reason that I love the first four days of March Madness so much 
because for those four days, like I just get to turn it back to being like 20. And like, that's all I do for four days is I watch basketball for 12 straight hours for four days in a row. And it just like, it brings back a simpler time when that's all I had to worry about. And there's, I get that a lot of it's nostalgia, but for the most part, it always lives up to the hype too. So that I just wanted to toss that in there too. Yeah. So I, I said that you know, the the Donovan goal against Algeria was my my number two, but since you covered that, I I did think of another one that that would fit there as well. Okay. Uh, December twenty second, two thousand and three. This is the the Brett Favre versus the Raiders, the, the day after Brett Favre's dad passed away. Okay. Um. And and Favre comes out and he throw in the first half he throws for three hundred and eleven yards, four touchdowns. And there was a moment in that game where you started to realize like something special is happening. And now I'm a I'm a diehard Brett Favre fan, and so um, you know I was just feeling for him and in this game and, and really hoping that he performed well and and didn't come out after such an emotional moment and struggle. Sure. And in the second quarter. And the second quarter, Brett rolls out, he, he, he drops back, and he just throws this bomb, a 50-plus yard bomb. And, and uh, Javon Walker rises up and, and catches it for a touchdown, but it was perfectly placed. Um, receiver makes the perfect move to catch the ball. And I, I remember just having an emotional moment watching. I'm a freshman in high school. I played quarterback. And so Brett Favre was kind of the guy that I, I idolized in, for my position. And having this emotional moment of there's no way you could play better than that, especially yeah. in such a big moment. Um, Monday night football, everyone's watching. Everyone knows your story. Um, and to come out and perform like that, it was, it was big, but that, I just looked it up a 43 yard touchdown pass. Um, he dropped back about 15 yards, but, uh, that was just a crazy moment. Uh, Javon Walker, huh? Javon Walker, Florida state product. Hey, there you go. Yeah, there you go. There was a Javon Walker had two touchdown, uh, catches in that game, but there was several throws in that game where you're just like, there's literally no way you can throw it better than that. Yeah. There's no way that you can put it in a better spot. Even the first touchdown to Wesley Walls, there's a name you haven't heard in a long time. But it was in the back, I remember it, just in the back left corner of the end zone. And the entire state is in Oakland. The entire stadium is rooting for Brett, like in yeah. that. Moment. And it was, it was so cool, so cool. All right, that's a good one. Um, all right, my number one, my last one was – the moment where this was Doug McDermott's senior night back in 2014. And he comes into the game and he's 38 points shy of 3,000 for his career. Mm-hmm. So, like, is this the same, same Doug McDermott that we almost partied with? Yes. Same, same, very, very same one. Same one. Um, okay. <laughs> it's a story for another time. Yeah, we're almost at an hour and a half. We don't have time for that. Um, it is a story, but that's for another time. For another day. Uh, we, listen, we have a lot of time without sports. We'll fill it up. We'll fill it up. Um, <laughs> so Doug McDermott, senior night. He needs 38 points to get to 3,000. And the weird thing, like 38 points is a lot in a college basketball game. And the weird thing was, 
everybody just kind of assumed he was going to get it. You know, like yeah. that's a lot to ask from a guy. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, he'll get 38. It'll be fine. And so he goes out. And it's the first time in my life it looked like Doug McDermott was shot hunting. Like, he did a pretty good job. He just kind of let the offense come to him. And it was designed for him to get a lot of shots anyway. So we never really, like, shot hunt in his entire life. And the first, like, three minutes of the game, you're like, oh, he's definitely getting to 38. Like, he is looking to get buckets. And so about halfway through the second half, he's at, like, 36, I think. And so he's a couple points away. He might have been only at 35, but he is dribbling the ball on the right-hand side of the of the wing. He just kind of dribbles, 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 takes a step back, pulls it from about 28 feet, just drills this three-pointer to get to 3,000 points. And hmm. the place, everybody knew exactly how many points he had. They knew exactly how many points he needed. And the place just went bananas. And... Hmm. Providence went down and scored a layup and like nobody noticed or cared. Um, <laughs> it was <laughs> like at all, like nobody, I don't even think Creighton got back on defense. Everybody was just freaking out. Um, and then they called the timeout and it was just three straight minutes of almost 19,000 people just screaming and freaking out. And it was incredible. That was um, I didn't cry in that moment, but when they were doing the senior day speeches later, um, I did tear up, um, mm -hmm. because not only was Doug McDermott a senior, but one of my random favorite players of all time, Ethan Roggy, who my dog is named after was a senior that year as well. Um, and so I, I did tear up a little bit. That was a, uh, that was a really special season and he ended up with 45 for those of you that were wondering, ended up with 45 points for the game. So <laughs> Um, definitely got the, uh, definitely got the number he needed. So that was, that's pro that's, it would take something real special, like a Creighton final four or something to surpass that as my favorite sports moment of all time. Yeah. That's awesome. I, so obviously, you know, being from Illinois, Creighton isn't like, you know, they're not really on my radar. We never play them, but I remember that moment because that was, uh, it was a huge national story. I mean, it really, yeah, was. that was a huge moment. And, uh, you know, Creighton isn't in the, you know, the national headlines often. Um, yeah. But that was one. That was big. I was, um, uh, I was sitting three rows behind the Providence bench for that. Oh, uh, yeah. Just giving it to him. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't have to. I mean, Dougie was. So, <laughs> I mean, that was so the year before I had sat there for two straight senior nights. The and I actually it's the same seats I was sitting in for the Seton Hall this past weekend as well. Yeah. Um, the year before, they were playing Greg Marshall and Wichita State in the final um, regular season Valley game that they ever played because they were moving to the Big East. Yeah. And this game is for, like, straight up, the winner is the outright Missouri Valley Conference title winner. Um, and Doug goes 15 for 18 for 41 points in that game. Oh, my God. Um, and Greg Marshall, who is an easy guy to hate just the whole <laughs> yeah. time, just going back to his assistants, just goes, we can't stop him. We just can't stop we him. Just, yeah. <laughs> it, it was, was incredible. <laughs> uh, so my, uh, yeah, my what's number, your number one. And nothing can ever come close to this. And I'm sure you can probably guess what it is. 
I, I think the only way anything can come close to this is if Illinois ever did eventually win a national title and something. Yeah, which will never happen. Um, but it's 2005, and this was Illinois' team of destiny. You know, this was that Darren Williams, D. Brown, Luther Head, Roger Powell, James Augustine, with Jack Ingram coming off the bench. And um, they lost one game in the regular season, the last game of the season. Just a fluke at Ohio State. Matt Sylvester hit a three, and <laughs> I'll never forget his name. Um, and it was the year that Ohio State was under sanction, so they couldn't even go to the tournament. So they they <laughs> end our our perfect season. But then we go into the Big Ten tournament. We roll through the Big Ten tournament, um, get into the NCAA tournament, and we roll in the first several rounds. And then we play Arizona yep. in the Elite Eight, the regional final. We're playing in Chicago. Um, I mean, just a perfect storm and, uh, we get down by 15 with three minutes and 54 seconds left. Um, and is our biggest, the, deficit, um, is this the Salim Stoudemire Arizona team? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Channing Fry. Um, yeah, they, they, they were on this team and we've got a little bit of history with Arizona cause we've had a couple tournament run-ins with them. Yeah. Uh, we had this, we had this guy in the early two thousands named Lucas Johnson, who's my favorite basketball player of all time, but nobody's ever heard of him. He was that <laughs> crazy kid that every team needs the kid that is taking all of the charges, diving for all the loose balls, balls. He's, uh, he's always bleeding for one reason or another <laughs> in every game. Um, and there's bleeding? a famous, there's a famous moment in Illinois, Arizona history where Lute Olson is losing his mind and is yelling and pointing at Lucas Johnson. And he's just telling him, you're crazy. You're <laughs> effing crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> and it, it's amazing. So we get to this game. And like I said, team of destiny. This is the greatest team in Illinois history. And we get down by 15 with just under four minutes to go. And everyone's just devastated. You know, our biggest deficit that whole year was nine points. Um, and we came back to win that game. And, and so, I mean, it's, it's done, it's over. And then all of a sudden Illinois just like turns it on. Arizona's not even doing anything wrong. Like they're making their free throws. They're, you know, um, and Darren and Luther and D man, they just start hitting threes. They get steals and, uh, they come all the way back. And then with under a minute to go, we're down three, uh, Arizona has the ball. They go to inbound it and Jack Ingram knocks it away. Uh, Luther grabs it, passes it to D. D passes it across the court to Darren. Darren does a little pump, dribble to the left, rises up for a three, and just drills this three-pointer to tie the game. We end up going to overtime. We win in overtime. But when Darren hit that three, um, that is the most emotional moment I've ever sports moment i should have i've had kids um, <laughs> i've been married but this rivals that also it's the most emotional sports moment i've ever had in my entire life just watching this comeback 15 point comeback um you know darren's gone after this year he's going to the nba um we have a lot of seniors on like this is our chance and our moment you've been feeling this was a national title team all year and all of a sudden you're, you're like we're gonna lose in the elite eight yeah darren comes back hits that three ties it bill murray is in the stands losing his freaking mind <laughs> i and, love bill murray <laughs> uh, oh my gosh there's there is a phenomenal high, you got nothing else to watch so if you're listening to this you might as well go ahead and watch it there's a phenomenal highlight tape it's about five minutes long it's a little mashup and it's got music playing in the background it's very emotional 
Um, and you can watch this. You can see Bill Murray lose his mind. Or they have the entire game on YouTube. You can watch the whole hour and a half regional final of Arizona versus Illinois in 2005, and you can follow it along with me. But that that's it. That's my moment. We won't talk about what happened the rest of that. Nope. That's where the season. tournament ended. But Made Final Four. It was beautiful. We had it. It's a <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's uh, we'll call it there. Although I will suggest uh, if you are missing sports, there are a ton of full games on YouTube of different teams, different yes. sports. Um, go check that out if you get a chance. But um, yeah, I'm working on some stuff to. I'm, I have an idea, and I don't. I don't want to commit to it yet because it's a lot of work. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm I'm considering watching all of the Marvel movies in chronological order. Oh, oh gosh! So there's 23 of them, starting with Captain America: First Avenger, going all the way through Endgame. Um, and I might just podcast after them. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll see. I might do maybe like groups of three. I, I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but. Um, I'm trying to get some content for you um, while sports are on hiatus. So, uh, Ev, I appreciate you doing this and uh, spending uh, almost a couple hours here with me <laughs> and uh, uh, just hanging out and having a good time. And stay safe out there. Keep your kids, uh, kiddos, and your family safe and healthy. And uh, hopefully, we'll hopefully we'll get to do this again soon. Yeah, no, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for letting me come on and just blabber on about sports and its importance to, to us in our lives yeah we i think i think everybody needs that right now and uh you can follow along heavy lifting with ravi lula on any of wherever you get your podcasts um you can hit me up on uh facebook heavy lifting with ravi lula on instagram or twitter at r-a lula that's r-a-l-u-l-l-a on my twitter right now i did put out a list of shows to binge and sports movies and shows to binge Two separate lists if you want to uh, check those out so uh, you have something to watch during our slow sports hiatus. But until then, Evan, I hope we talk to you again soon. And uh, this has been Heavy Lifting with Robbie Lula. We'll talk to you again soon.